And tonight I have a very uh, special subject that I'm teaching on. Since this coming Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to teach tonight on why Pentecost. Why did God choose Pentecost? And so we're going to deal with that this evening. But first, let us pray. We're going to pray for the sick, and we want to pray that God would bless our time and His Word. And so if you have a need right now, I just want you to verbalize that need wherever you are. Nobody else may be there with you, but I want you to say it out loud because God honors people who speak by faith. And whatever that need is, lift it before the Lord right now. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and we bless you, and we are so thankful for you. What a mighty God you are. Lord, you are uh, the God of, that rules and reigns over everything, every infirmity, every sickness, every malady, every problem, every situation. You are above it all, God. Lord, you're the God that heals our bodies, but you're also the God that can heal our spirit. And not only are you the God that can heal our body and our spirit, but you're the God that can touch our mind. And we are so grateful for you. And so, Lord, we bring every need to you right now. Pray that you would be with Samuel, Lord, as he goes to the doctor tomorrow. And pray that you would keep your hand on him. Be with his family in Jesus' name, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless this service tonight. And you will bless our time in your word. And that people will receive revelation, God. And that you will speak to people's hearts through this lesson that I'm getting ready to teach. I pray that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And before I dive in, let me say one other thing. I know there's a lot going on right now in our nation with uh, different issues. And one of those issues has been the issue of racism. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion on what is racism, what is not racism, I am going to tell you this evening that we need to make sure that we don't get caught up in politics, but we certainly need to be caught up in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, everybody matters. And so whether we completely understand why somebody feels the way that they do, we need to make sure that we give uh, our heartfelt support to those who may feel marginalized, to those who may feel forgotten to those who may feel uh, fearful because of their uh, nationality or the color of their skin. And we have seen some things that are not right. And the church needs to stand up and say that is not right. But we also need to do more than stand up and say that is not right. We need to come alongside our brothers and sisters of every color and creed. And we need to stand together with them. And God's church is not a white church, it is not a black church, it is not a brown church, it is not a Hispanic church, it is not an English church, it is not a uh, Mandarin church, but God's church is one church made up of many different cultures, and it doesn't matter where you come from, and it doesn't matter what your background is, and your socioeconomic status is, or your body type is, none of those things matter to the Lord. He loves everybody, and everybody he sees, he has compassion on, and we should do the same. And so I want to say that, and I want everybody to know that this church is a church for all people. We welcome everybody, and we always have, and we always will. And 
I hope that everybody's aware of that. I believe they are, but I, I just wanted to reaffirm that tonight. So now, let me get into our Bible lesson for this evening, talking about why Pentecost. Why Pentecost? Let me tell you this. There are things that separate the apostolic people from other denominations. Um, we, are, we are very strong in some, of our, in some of our core doctrines. We are so very strong in them, and we need to make sure that we are steadfast in them. Um, some of those are things like the oneness of God. We are very strong on the oneness of God. There is only one God. We know this because he told us that. He said, is there any God beside me? I know not any. He told Job, I stretch forth the heavens. And, and I told the sea just how far to go. That is one of our core doctrines. And it's one of the core doctrines of Judaism, which is the basis of our Judeo-Christian values. And the Jews recite to this day, Hero Israel's the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So we believe he is, he is very clearly one God. He is not one in the sense of a baseball team is one. A baseball team is one team with nine different people on the field playing. We don't believe he's one in that sense. We believe he is completely one. Those are nine different individuals. There are some that believe God is three different persons that has three separate streams of consciousness. We believe that God is completely and indivisibly one. In him, the Bible says, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Talking about Jesus. So if Jesus does not have all of the fullness of the Godhead, then that would mean there's parts elsewhere. But the scripture said all of that fullness is in him. That's a key doctrine of ours. We are A key doctrine of ours is the new birth, being born again of water and of the Spirit. We don't baptize for membership. Now, we baptize our members, but baptism doesn't just make you a member. We believe your faithfulness and all the things of God makes you a member of the body of Christ. We baptize you because it is for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. That is a strong doctrine. We don't baptize in titles. Because Jesus gave us the formula for baptism when he said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He gave us the formula for baptism. But we baptize in that name. He gave us the formula and Peter declared the name on the day of Pentecost when he said, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus told us himself, of course the name of the Son is Jesus Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus said he came in the name of the Father. And Jesus said that the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, which would come in his name. So the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is Jesus. It's all in him. And so when we baptize, we baptize in the name of Jesus because it is the name that has the power to wash away our sins. That is a key doctrine. And then one of our key doctrines is the one I'm dealing with tonight, which is the Holy Ghost, which was poured out on the day of Pentecost in uh, Acts uh, chapters 1, 2. We begin to read about that. And so uh, let's discuss this. Why did God choose Pentecost? Why do we need a personal Pentecost 
in our lives. What I am preaching tonight, teaching tonight, is not just for one. And it's not just for people who call themselves Pentecostal. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. That's not the issue. The issue is that we must have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. If we don't have the Spirit of God, we are none of His. And I'll show you scripture that says such. Here's the great thing about Pentecost. Pentecost brings people together. It brings people together. Now at Babel, you remember they were building that tower in the book of Genesis. And they wanted to build a tower that would reach heaven. They wanted to show how, how ingenious they were and their ability to work in such a way. And so they began to build this tower. And the Lord looked and he said, if I don't do something, nothing will be restrained from them. And so God, uh, to keep them from being humanistic and to keep them from being built up within themselves, he tore their tower down and he brought division among them. How did God bring division among them? He separated their languages. That's where we get the, the separation of languages is at Babel. And matter of fact, Babel means many, many tongues. And so... The Lord separated their languages, and when he did that and they could not understand each other, people began to migrate to those that spoke the same language as them, and it kept people from coming together and accomplishing anything that they wanted to accomplish. Uh, he did that through language. He used language to bring division. But at Pentecost, the Lord says, I'm going to change that now. And at Pentecost, God used language to unite people in one spirit. Now they had been in one mind at Babel. They had one mind to accomplish that which they wanted to do. But at Pentecost, the Lord said, I am going to take people, and if you go read the first chapters of the book of Acts, and particularly chapter 2, you will see that they're at, at the celebration of Pentecost in Jerusalem, there were people from many different ethnicities, Cretes, and, 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 and all kinds of people coming from all over. They spoke different languages. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells us that when they heard the apostles and those that had been in the upper room come out of the upper room speaking in tongues, they said, how is it that we hear all these people declaring the works of God in our own languages? So they had their own languages. And yet it was there at Pentecost that God used um, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to unite people. They could not understand, not all of them, if, if, if one person was speaking one language and another was speaking another language, there may have been somebody there that understood this language, but that doesn't mean they understood that other language. So they may not have all understood each other, we, we, we get that, but there was a unity of the Spirit that took place. And so when we are unified in the Spirit... It is then that we begin to have the mind of Christ. And if we can get unity in the Spirit, then we can get unity in the mind of Christ. Not in our humanistic thinking, but in the things that God wants us to think. And that is why a church can become such a, a powerful, viable force in the world. When a church is baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
and they have come together in unity in the Spirit, then God begins to allow them to come into one mind as well. And when we do that, we begin to have an effectiveness in our world that is beyond anything that we could do with our humanistic ability or reasoning. And more than I want my children to be able to, and and they need to be able to get along with people, and they need to be able to know what teamwork is and, and how to be a part of a team. But more than that, we need to be able to come together in the unity of the Spirit of God. There is nothing that is more powerful than that. Now you think back. I've sat on, I've sat on in groups and I've sat in meetings and I've been a part of committees and teams throughout the years. And when I was a part of that committee or that team, there is a synergy that comes when we all begin to put our minds together to work towards something. You ever experience that? We come together and we begin, to, hey, what are we going to do about this? And as we do, somebody says something and that causes somebody else to think about something different. And, and together we are more able than we are apart. If that is what we are able to accomplish with our own reasoning, just imagine what can be accomplished when people come together in the unity of the Spirit of God. Amen. That's why the, the church, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Ghost was in, in the early 20th century, began to really be poured out, we, we would call it the latter rain. As we get closer to the end time, it was, it was a time of renewing, of, of re, resurgence of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Throughout history, we have, we have examples all throughout history of people that spoke with tongues. But there was a resurgence and it became much more powerful and influential and a wave, a tsunami really, in the 20th century. Matter of fact, Time Magazine called uh, Pentecost, what happened at Azusa Street and how it spread. It called that one of the top phenomenons of the 20th century. When they look back, one of the top 100 phenomenons, even to secularists, was what happened with Pentecost. Well, of course it was because... Uh, when, when that began to happen and, and, and it was poured out, it brought all kinds of people together. Azusa Street in California was an old livery. It was just an old livery barn that, that was, was uh, remodeled and repurposed to become a church. It was a very humble place. It was not a beautiful building. It was not a nice building. The pulpit was just apple carts turned on their sides and stood up. And they said often that when the preacher would get up to preach, he would just put his head behind that uh, apple, cart pul- uh, apple box pulpit. And he would just begin to pray because he felt so unworthy. And yet God's spirit would sweep in there. And newspapers wrote. And they said, what is happening here is unique in that it's bringing people of every culture together. It's bringing white people together and black people together. It's bringing the Hispanic people together. It brought people from Japan. It brought people from the, from the Asiatic countries. It brought people from all over the world, from Europe. They all came when they heard what was happening at Azusa. And people came from different places. Some of them were very wealthy, but some of them were very poor. And, and it did not matter where you came from. They were all united. Pentecost unites people. Let me tell you one of the things our world needs right now. Our world needs an outpouring of Pentecost 
once again. While we find ourselves divided, and our nation is very much divided politically. It's been divided for a while now racially. And all these things are happening. What we need right now is an outpouring of Pentecost. And let me speak to Sanctuary Church right now. Let me tell you, when we come into this building this coming Sunday at 9.30 and at 11 a.m., you need to come in here looking for there to be an outpouring of Pentecost. Everybody needs to be renewed. Everybody needs to avail themselves of this ability that God has to draw all men together through His Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, that's the first paragraph of my notes right there. We may be in a series, all right? We didn't know it. Um, I, I, I want, I, I'm trying to just drive this home. This matters to us. Pentecost is not just a label we put on ourselves. And, and I would say even this, and, I, and Pentecost is an experience that we all must experience, but it is more than an experience. I don't like to hear it degraded as just being an experience. Pentecost is the gift of God. It is the gift of God when you receive the Holy Ghost. And when I say Pentecost, I'm talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, however you refer to it. It is the gift of God. God wants you to have the Holy Ghost. God, God is calling for you to have the Holy Ghost. He doesn't want anybody to not be filled with His Spirit. He wants all men to repent and to come to Him and be filled with His Spirit. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There are people that teach that the Holy Ghost is... Just an added blessing. That it is for some people. And it's an added blessing that only a few people, select people, are going to be able to experience that. And, and uh, maybe some of the preachers are going to get the experience. Or maybe some of the people who are real prayer warriors, they can experience it. I am going to tell you tonight, that is not the case. The Holy Ghost is for everybody. How do you know that? Because... Uh, the Apostle Peter told us this. Jesus said it. He said, whosoever can come and drink of this. Did he not? I'll, I'll give you the scripture in a bit. But Peter, on the day of Pentecost when he preached, the Bible said in Acts 2.38 and 2.39, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Peter told us this promise is not just for 11 or 12 disciples. This promise is not just for those that were there on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. This promise is not for just 120 in an upper room. This promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Go read it, Acts 2.39. It's in your Bible. It is for everybody. It is not just an added blessing that some people get because God loves them more. Now, gifts of the Spirit, and, and I don't want to get sidetracked here. Gifts of the Spirit will vary 
Not everybody may operate in every gift of the Spirit. But it is the will of God that everybody receives the gift of the Spirit. And the gifts, and I'm talking about the Holy Ghost. Now the gifts that are found within the Spirit, prophecy and, and faith and, and word of wisdom and word of knowledge and, and gifts of healing and, and uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues. That tongues is not the same thing I'm talking about tonight. That tongues is a message in tongues that God may give a group of people when they're gathered together in church. That's what that is referring to. And that is why there needs to be an interpreter for that. But the gift of the Holy Ghost is for everybody. And if you go study those scriptures in 1 Corinthians, you'll find that the Bible says that those gifts, those nine spiritual gifts are found in the Holy Ghost. They're found in the Holy Ghost, and that we should covet them earnestly. So don't let somebody tell you that, that it, it's receiving the Holy Ghost evidence of speaking in other tongues is just one gift of nine. That's not the case. They don't understand the gifts of the Spirit correctly. So I'm going to, I want to help you tonight. Everybody is able to have the Holy Ghost. To say that it is just for a few people... That does not sound like our God. In the Old Testament tabernacle, which the New Testament teaches is a type of our relationship with God, in that Old Testament tabernacle, the priests were the only ones that were able to... The high priest was the only one who was able to experience the Shekinah glory of God. Once a year, the high priest could go behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of Testimony rested. And that's where the mercy seat was. And that's where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And one time a year, the high priest, not all the other priests, there were many priests that were ministering in the tabernacle, but the high priest would go behind that veil and, and he was able to experience the Shekinah glory of God. But something happened when Jesus came and he... And he lived the gospel. He lived, he died, he was buried, uh, he resurrected, and then he ascended into glory. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holiest of holies. The veil that separated from where the priests took care of their uh, daily sacrifices and and took care of the daily ministry at the candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. But the, the veil that was between that and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. When Jesus died, that veil was rent in two. And hear me when I tell you, a man did not rend that veil. A person did not grab hold of it. Somebody with a knife did not cut that veil. That veil was split... By God himself, he was signifying that while there used to be a separation between my Shekinah presence and my people, no longer is there going to be a separation. You can now boldly approach the throne of grace. Anybody can come into the Shekinah glory and presence of God. In Mark 15, you can read about it, Mark 15 in verse number 37, 38. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain 
from the top to the bottom. So now there's access, all right? Now there's access. But somebody might say, yeah, but we're still not priests. So we still can't. Only the priests could go back there. I'm glad you would say that. Let's look at Revelation 5 and verse number 10. The Bible says that the Lord has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. We now are the priesthood unto God. We, the church, the body of Christ, we are now made the priesthood in this New Testament dispensation. We are priests unto God. And that means that whatever was available to that Old Testament priest, that typology is also now available to us. They, why Pentecost? They experienced the Shekinah, and because of Pentecost, now we also can experience the Shekinah glory of God. Not just once a year. Not just one man. Hebrews 9 discusses how that high priest only entered in once a year. He offered the atonement and he would leave that place. Israel's sins at that moment, uh, they would put them on the scapegoat and send it in the wilderness. But from that moment, Israel's uh, sins began to gather and accumulate again. But Jesus entered in once for all. And Jesus does not have to go back in because that would mean that his sacrifice was not sufficient. But Scripture teaches us that His sacrifice was all in all sufficient. So now, there is no perpetual sin to keep us from His Shekinah presence. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. And if you don't, you need to write these down, because I've got more Scriptures tonight than you can shake a stick at, all right? You need to write these down. This is a good Bible study for you. There is... is, Uh, No perpetual sin that can keep us from his presence. Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So I am telling you. The Holy Ghost is not an added blessing for super spiritual people. But it is the promised gift of God for all people that will obey the gospel. It is your promise. It is your inheritance. It is what is coming to you. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. All you have to do is open up your mouth and begin to praise God and yield yourself. And he will fill you with the Holy Ghost. He will fill you with the Holy Ghost. Now, hear me. Hear me. I want to be very clear. This is where... Now, there's a lot of people... There's a lot of churches that might would say, Well, we're okay with that. You can come talk in tongues. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost. You can do that in our church. But, but it's not necessary to do that for salvation. Okay, I want to help you here. And I'm not here to be condemning of you. But I am here to share truth with you. I want to share truth with you. I wouldn't ever want to hide anything from you. And I wouldn't want to tell you less than what the Bible says. And any preacher that would do that is no man of God. We've got to be honest about what the Bible says. I am going to tell you that it is necessary for you to be filled with the Spirit of God in order for you to be born again. 
Listen, John 3 and 5. The Bible says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot go into the kingdom of God if you are not filled with the Spirit. You must be born again of water and of the Spirit. That's why I told you we don't baptize. When he said born again of water, some people are going to tell you that means a physical birth. That is not what Jesus is saying. Go read the context of that. You have to work really hard to try to make it that be what he's saying. It is clear Jesus is not telling us that. That's why the Bible says baptism doth now save us. That's why we don't baptize for church membership. When we take you into our baptistry and we baptize you, we do it because it, is, it, it buries the old man and it remits your sins. Jesus said you have to be born again of water and of the Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, that is being born again of the Spirit. John 7, in verse number 37, the Bible says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the, this is the verse I was referencing earlier, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus said that if you will believe on him as the Scriptures have said. When we believe on him, it is more, it is more than just a mental ascent. Believing on him is more than just a mental ascent. It is obeying what he has told us to do. Jesus tells us, if you don't obey me, you do not believe me. If you do not obey me, he says, you do not know me. And if you don't know him, you cannot believe in him. So there is, there is a direct correlation between what we are taught in Scripture and, and what, we, what we come to know of Jesus that causes us to believe so that we might obey. We must obey. There is, let me tell you something right now. There is almost nothing in the world that is as powerful as obedience to God. There was a man who began to sacrifice, a bunch of sacrifices, because he was trying. Listen to what he was trying to do. God had said, don't do something. His name was Saul. He was first king of Israel. God said, don't do something. Saul disobeyed God and did what God told him not to do. And in order to try to make it okay, he, he, he said, well, if I'll do this, surely God will overlook my disobedience. Surely God's not a God of judgment. Surely He's not... I just can't believe in that kind of a God who would tell me to do something and then be mad if I don't actually do it. So I'm just going to do what I think. And so what, he, what His remedy was 
in disobedience. His remedy was, I'll just sacrifice some of these animals that I've taken that God told me not to. And yet when the prophet came to him, the prophet made a very powerful statement. He said, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You cannot sacrifice your way out of disobedience. You cannot, you cannot uh, give your way out of disobedience. You cannot social justice your way out of disobedience. You can't, you can't serve the homeless enough to get out of disobedience to God's word. You can't give enough canned goods. You can't, you can't put enough coats on people. You can't take care of enough elderly that don't have money for rent and think that is going... That, is, that would be called a gospel of works. And people who tell you that are legalistic people who believe a gospel of works. I am telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his gospel says obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So... Romans 6 and 4. Romans 6 and 4. And I'm dealing with the Holy Ghost is necessary for you to be born again so that you can go to heaven. Romans 6 and 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk, hear this, in newness of life. I want you to say that with me. Newness of life. Now, what's he talking about here in, in all of this? When he says walk in newness of life. I am telling you. It is the Spirit of God that breathes new life into us. As in Adam. In Genesis. In Adam, the Bible said God breathed into him the breath of life. Just as God breathed into that first Adam the breath of life, he was a man that was, he was formed, but he was not alive. And so you and I, we are spiritually dead until God breathes in us newness of life. And that is what happened. The Spirit breathes life into our souls when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, in Romans 6 and 4 that I just read to you, it's talking about baptism there. It is talking about one baptism by two parts. One baptism by two parts. You can find that in Hebrews chapter number 6, verses 1 and 3. They use this word in the plural. I'm going to start with verse 1. It says this, Therefore... Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, there are some people that have completely missed this. And they, they read, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine. Oh, we'll just leave everything that has to do with the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That doesn't matter. That is not what the Bible is trying to tell you. The Bible is trying to say, grow from what you have already learned. Grow from where you already are. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection or completeness, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We already got that. 
So we shouldn't have to keep beating that up all the time. We already have that. Uh, not, going, uh, not always dwelling on the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Those are all powerful doctrines. But let me point out to you. He said one of those things that we can't just camp out on, that we've got to make sure we're building on, is the doctrine of baptisms. Now, if you look at that word, that word is in its plural sense. And I went and looked at this just to make sure that this was not a, a grammatical error from the translators. When it says baptisms, it means baptisms, plural. It means for that word, word to be plural. It's, it's in its singular sense in other times in Scripture when it's referring to a particular baptism. When it refers to baptism by water, it'll be baptism singular. If it refers to baptism of the Holy Ghost, it'll be baptism singular. But it uses it here in the plural. Why? Because it is telling us that our baptism is, is one baptism found in two parts. Baptism of the water and of the Spirit. There is no new life without the Spirit. There is no new life without the Spirit. Well, you're saying some strong things. I mean to. Let's read some scripture. John 6 and verse number 63. John 6 and 63, the Bible says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth or gives life. The flesh profiteth nothing. You can do nothing in your flesh that will get you to glory. It is only spirit. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. There is no new life without the spirit. Romans 8 and verse number 2. Romans 8 and 2. And I'm going to be flipping through my Bible, getting to some of these scriptures. So y'all just give me a moment. Doing a fire... Uh, Sword drill right now, not a fire drill, sword drill. Romans 8 and 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8 and 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin... But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse number 6. 2 Corinthians 3 and 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's no life without the Spirit. Galatians 6 and verse number 8. One more. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. If you, flow to the, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you reap life everlasting. Let me give you one more. Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now watch this. Powerful, powerful verse of Scripture. He's talking to the church at Rome. Okay, He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the church at Rome. But ye, if you're really the church, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, 
Everybody say if. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man, this is not my words, this is not a denomination's words, this is, this is the Bible's words. And the, every word in the Bible is inspired by God. And it said this in Romans 8 and 9. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. How do we know that we have received the Spirit then? If, if the Spirit is this important, I want the Spirit. Can, can we all agree on that? Wherever you are, if you'll agree with that, if the Spirit is this important, that if I don't have it, I'm none of His. Can you say amen? I want it. I want it. Okay? then how do we get it? How do we know that we have received it? Some people will tell you that the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that we have received the Holy Ghost. There's a couple of things with that. Non-believers can live a good life. People who, who, who do not believe in Jesus at all, or, or, or they subscribe to Hinduism or or Buddhism, or Islam, or some other religion. They can be good people. And they can do things. They can be temperate people. They can be kind people. They can, they can do things that would cause them to appear to have the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm not talking about our, our, a, a fruit of our own humanistic efforts. Again, that would be legalism. Okay, that would be a gospel of saved by works. But we're not saved by works. We're saved uh, because of our faith in Jesus. And our faith leads us into obedience. So what, what do we do? That would mean, if the fruit of the Spirit is the only evidence that you have the Holy Ghost, that would mean that we could accomplish receiving the Holy Ghost on our own. If, we, if all it took was doing good things. Meaning there's no need for God in our lives. This is what the fruit of the Spirit is for. The fruit of the Spirit is to develop our character. It is the character of God. And it is the continuing change in us that we, because we have the Spirit. People who are angry should lose their anger. People who are unbalanced should lose that and begin to become balanced in Christ. The Bible shows us that there is something else entirely that is the evidence that we have received the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. All right, what is that? I want you to look at Acts chapter number 2. Let's look at Acts chapter number 2. I want to read verses 1 through 4 to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to point out three, three important things here. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came... Here, here we go. Here's your first one. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them... Here's the second. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with, here's your third one, 
other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's three key things that you see there in that scripture. The first two, the first two are to fulfill prophecy so that they would know that this was the Spirit that had come to them. Let me show you. Why? There were three things that were happening. Mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues of fire, and they spoke with other tongues. Why did the sound of wind accompany the Holy Ghost outpouring in Acts chapter number 2? To confirm that this truly was the Spirit. Because Jesus had said in John 3 and 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof. But you cannot tell from where it comes and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. He was trying to tie this together to them. He had given them instruction. So he needed them to recognize when that mighty rushing wind came. You remember what I said about being born of the Spirit. It's like the wind coming. So here we, we have the sound of a mighty rushing wind that comes into the upper room. Why did fire? Because literal, there were literal flames of fire that set over them as they received the gift of the Holy Ghost that first time in the upper room. Why did fire accompany the initial Holy Ghost outpouring? Again, to confirm that this truly was the Spirit that Jesus had spoken of. John the Baptist had said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All right? So this is a demonstration to them that what is happening, you are not crazy. You haven't lost your minds. You haven't lost your minds. You haven't, you haven't just all of a sudden lost... Control of your faculties. You don't need to be admitted to, to a, a, a center or anything like that. What is happening here is a, divine, uh, is a divine supernatural act of God. And I'm sending the wind and I'm sending the fire so that you'll know this is in fact the Spirit. But beyond the wind and the fire, there's going to be something else that you are going to do. I'll send the wind and I'll send the fire. And I send the Spirit, but I want you to take part in this so that you can be convinced that what has happened to you is in fact supernatural. So this is why there is tongues. Tongues was, is, is, was then and continues to be the initial evidence that you have received the Holy Ghost for two reasons. Number one, James 3 tells us, that the tongue is the unruliest of all members. And I don't have time to read all those scriptures there. I have them here, but I'm not going to read them. You could go look at it. And he tells us that you can control any beast in the world. Any beast can be controlled. They've, folks, they've controlled killer whales. They've controlled tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my. They've controlled snakes. They've controlled... Uh, horses, they've controlled all kinds of animals. Elephants, all of that stuff. They've controlled that. But the Bible says the tongue is the most difficult thing for anybody to control. And it starts fires and it starts a world of trouble 
wherever people do not have control of their tongue. So one of the reasons that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence is because it is the unruliest member. A man can't control the tongue. Folks, we've got a president. Let's be honest. The man has a difficult time controlling his tongue. Our politicians, our celebrities, all of these people have a, different, a difficult time controlling their tongue. And if you're honest, don't be a hypocrite right now. You have a difficult time controlling your tongue. But God said, I will come and I will take control of your tongue. And I will cause it to glorify me and to give me praise. That's one reason tongues is the sign. But the second is this. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter number 28 and verse number 11. Isaiah 28 and 11. Let me go there very quickly. Isaiah 28 and 11. The Bible says this. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. With stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. He prophesied that there would be a time that with stammering lips and another tongue, he would speak to this his people. And this would be the rest. The Holy Ghost, the Bible says, is our rest. This would be the rest wherewith he would cause the weary to be refreshed. Well, I don't know if I can believe that. Well, just stick with me because I've got all kinds of scripture for you. Let me just show you some instances in the New Testament where tongues accompanied the Holy Ghost infilling. Go to the book of Acts. See, establishment of the church. Acts 2 and 4 says, this is when they were in the upper room. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let me stop and say this. Nobody can teach you to speak in tongues. Don't get caught up with this foolishness. You know, you say this. Say, say this. Repeat this after me. And, and, and somebody, and I don't even almost want to do it because I feel like it's blasphemous. But somebody will tell you to say something and, and say it faster. And all, all right, now you're speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about when you, when you speak in tongues, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be in prayer. And you're going to be praising God and crying out to God. And you can't do it if you don't open up your mouth. And you can't do it if you're trying to be quiet and have nobody hear you. All right? You've got to open up your mouth. And you begin to worship God and praise God. And as you do, you're going to feel to begin to say things that you do not understand. And that is when you just begin to yield yourself. This is all about trust in God. Faith in God. And you begin to yield yourself. And as you do, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to know how, but you're going to know what to say. And, and you're going to feel it come on you. You're going to feel the words that you feel like you need to begin to speak out. And it may be different than what it sounds like when I speak with tongues. And it may be different than what somebody else sounds like when they speak with tongues. Don't try to uh, question yourself based on what it sounds like when other people do it. You just yield to it. 
you may feel awkward in it at first. As many years as I've lived for God, as many years as I've prayed in the Holy Ghost, and all of these things, it's very natural for me now. It's very natural for me. But you may feel uncomfortable when you're first doing it. It's always uncomfortable when you let go. When, you're, when, when, when you've been in a trust fall and, and they said, now you're just going to fall back and you're just going to completely fall back and we're going to catch you. The first time you did that was very scary. But that director who goes everywhere doing that and teaching people how to do it, it's not scary. We've got people in our church. God bless you, Ricky and Sarah and those of you that, Joel and those of you that skydive. They're trying to get me to do it. I don't know. I, there's a part of me that wants to, but there's a part of me that is scared to death. But I would imagine the first time you skydive, trying to step out of that airplane is the one of the most difficult things in the world. But for that paratrooper who does it all the time, it becomes like second nature to him. Why? Because he's learned to trust the equipment. The first time you speak with tongues, it may feel uncomfortable because you've never done that before. But as you yield yourself and you, are, and, and, and you pray in the Holy Ghost, and you make sure that it's not a one-time thing. It becomes natural to you because you are walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the Spirit. I've got I've to quit. Uh, that, that's Acts 2 and 4. Don't let somebody try to train you, you know, say this. That, that's, not, that's not real stuff. That's not real stuff. That's charismaniacs. I can't believe I say some of the things I say sometimes. I am telling you, it, it, we need to do this. We don't need to make this up. You don't have to make this up. This is a natural thing that God will do if you'll yield yourself. So in Acts 2.4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke with other tongues. Scripture said it. Let's look at Acts 10, verses 44 through 48. Acts 10, 44 through 48. Now I'm almost done. The Bible says this. Now Peter is preaching to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. While Peter yet spake these words... The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. So the, the Jews that had already received the Holy Ghost that were there with him, their minds were blown that these Gentiles received the Holy Ghost. That also was poured out, that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they, how did they know they were filled with the Holy Ghost, I wonder? Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He's, he's new in this. He's walking in this. He's learning. Peter didn't have it all figured out. But when they received the Holy Ghost, he knew they needed to have the other part of that baptism as well. So he baptized them in the name of Jesus. But the thing I need you to understand is that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. Now, give me just a moment here, because i got to say something very important, because there is an argument that some people make. And they will say, well, speaking in tongues was just for the day of Pentecost and the apostles, so that they would know that the Holy Ghost had come. So it's just, it was just for them, it's not for us anymore. So that they would know the Holy Ghost had come. Well, you've got a problem with that. Because these that are gathered in Cornelius' house are not apostles. They're Gentiles. These that are gathered at Cornelius' house. It is not the day of Pentecost 
when the first outpouring of the Holy Ghost came. This is a completely separate matter. It's a completely separate time. And now look at Acts chapter number 19. Acts 19 verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, now he found disciples, and he said to those disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John the Baptist's baptism. We were baptized like he was baptizing people. Paul said, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. And he said unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. That You remember I read it to you earlier that he would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. When they heard this, these people that had been baptized in John's baptism, when they heard this, they were baptized. Watch this. They were baptized, the one baptism of two parts. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So first they went down in the water. And then, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them... The Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So they were, they were baptized of water and of spirit. Remember Jesus said, unless you're baptized of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. They were baptized with water, and they were baptized with the spirit. And the way they knew that they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 2 the way they knew they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 10. The way they knew they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 19 is because they spoke with tongues. Now, folks, I'm not trying to make your life difficult. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says. And I don't want anything less than what the Bible says. You go offer your sacrifices, but to obey is better than the sacrifice. You need the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I'm grateful and appreciative of what you have done. I would call you a disciple. Just like Paul called these people that were baptized under John's baptism disciples. But there is a clear understanding for us. And that is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you haven't had that name called over you, if somebody has not said, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you need that. And you need to come to this church on Sunday and you need to let me baptize you. It won't make you, you don't have to become a member of this church. You don't have to pay your tithe to this church. I just want to see you baptized in the name of Jesus. And then we will pray with you. And I believe that when we lay hands on you and you lift up your voice and yield your spirit, God is going to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's going to happen in this church on Sunday. People are going to be filled and renewed in the Holy Ghost. 
It's going to be all over this place. It's Pentecost Sunday. And if you've never experienced it, you need to get here. 9.30 or 11. And if you didn't sign up, we don't care. Come on in anyway. We'll kick somebody else out. I promise you. We'll make room for you. If I have to leave, my family has to come out so you'll have room. We will make room for you. But it is God's gift. It is God's promise, and it is the greatest thing that could happen to you. Because when you are baptized in Jesus' name, and you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it puts you in the kingdom of God. It puts you in the kingdom of God, and that is what we desire for you. And so if you're a guest, if you're a friend of somebody that's connected, you don't come to this church, listen to this preacher right now. Listen to me. Please, don't let tradition blind you. Do not let your tradition blind you from what the Word of God says. Go back and watch this, this lesson again and again and again. Watch it however many times you need to. Write down the Scriptures. Go look them up yourself. See if I'm not telling you the truth. But you need this, what I'm preaching tonight. It is God's promise for you. And so I want to pray for you right now. Because I believe there's hungry people watching. In the name of Jesus, God... There are people that are, that are tuned in right now. They're watching this service, whether it be live or whether it be recorded. They are watching this service right now, God. And they are hungry for something that they haven't had. They have, they have felt like something was missing. They have wondered if this could be for them. God, I want them to know this is not for a handful. This is not for a few. This is not, for, this is not an added blessing that only a, 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 a few people get. But this is their promise. And this is their gift that you want them to have. And so God, I pray that you will deal with our hearts. And that we would be sensitive to what you are speaking to us right now. I pray that people that haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus will call us. They will contact us. Message our church. Get a hold of me. Message me personally. God, I want to baptize them in the name of Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be hesitant. Call me anytime. I'll, I'll be glad to do it, God. I want to see them baptized in your name because it washes away their sin. And God, we want to pray with them and we want to see them receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We want to see them receive that gift and they'll know they received it because they will speak with other tongues, God. And that is your plan for their life. And they are watching this right now, God, because you ordained that they would see this. Because you saw the hunger in them. And you want them to have this gift that you have promised to everybody. Whosoever will come, you will give it to them. And so, God, that is your desire. And I pray that, Lord, this Sunday we see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When the word of faith is given, I pray, God, that people are filled and refilled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, I pray that people who may not step in this building, I pray they receive it. You can receive it right now wherever you are. You can throw your hands in the air and begin to yield to God and you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah.